Welcome again to 1030 Church. Uh, we're going to have a look at Colossians chapter 3, 1 to 11. And uh, I'm not sure why my text is so small, but that's okay. Leave it like, a, like that. Uh, I put this up to remind us where we are. Back in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says this. I'll read it in case your eyes don't work that carefully. <laughs> not sure what happened there. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, we've been wrestling with that in the last couple of weeks. And I really want to ask the question this morning, what does continuing to live in the Lord Jesus look like? So it's really a word to people who are followers of Jesus. And uh, what I want you to see over the next three weeks, chapter three is going to show us what it lo looks like to continue in Jesus. It means we will seek the things above. We'll set our mind on heavenly things. We'll put to death earthly things. We'll clothe ourselves with Jesus. And we'll give thanks to God in everything we do. So let me pray as we come to chapter three that the, God might write his word on our hearts and change our lives. Dear God, our heavenly Father, Thank you for this word from Paul to the Colossians, from you to us. Write this word on our hearts that we may be rejoice in being hidden in you and uh, have new lives in you. Give us the strength by your spirit to put off the old and put on the new. Help us to be people who give thanks to you in everything we do and everything we say by your spirit write your word on our hearts and change our lives amen i don't know if you've ever heard of the missionary john g payton he was a missionary to the new hebrides modern day vanuatu in 1858 he sailed to the new hebrides to work with the people of tanner they were cannibals uh, a year after arriving on the island, uh, John Payton's wife died. Uh, the people of Tanner were treacherous and they sought to put him to death a number of times through black magic. Uh, Payton and uh, the rest of the team contracted malaria and he was the only one to survive that bout of malaria. But he went on to bring Jesus to that place and he served there for the next 50 years. In his autobiography, he had a fair bit to do with Australian Christians, especially in Melbourne at the late turn of the 1800s. Uh, in his autobiography, he talked about planning to go to the New Hebrides and he wrote in his autobiography that various people told him how foolish he was to go. And he writes particularly that one of his elderly mentors said, you are foolish to go, you'll be eaten by cannibals. Uh, 
In his autobiography, Peyton responds, and he said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live and die serving and honouring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. John G. Payton was a man who lived life setting his eyes, his heart, his mind on the things above where Jesus reigns. And really, uh, in this first part of Colossians chapter 3, I want you to hear the two commands that Paul gives first to the Colossians and then to us. He says, seek the things above. And the flip side of that, he says, put to death earthly things. And so with you, as part of the next three weeks, I want to encourage you to think about those two things. Uh, let's start with the first. Paul says, set your heart and mind on the things above. Uh, chapter 3 begins with these words. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Now what uh, Paul is doing here, he's taking up the things we've already seen in chapter 2 and he's bringing it home and he's calling the faithful to live life in Jesus. And he's really answering the question, what does continuing in the Lord look like? The first part of the answer is this, continuing in the Lord means uh, seeking the things that are above. Uh, and I want you to notice three things that will encourage us to do that in this present life that we live. Firstly, you'll notice that Paul picks up the idea we saw in chapter two, that we are raised with Christ to the heavenly place through faith in him. Now, I think that's a glorious mindset and a glorious perspective that we're encouraged to have as followers of Jesus. And so Paul is able to say, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above. Literally, seek the things above. It echoes the words of Jesus you might remember from Mark 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will sort themselves out. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, he's really applying what we've already seen in chapter 2. Remember in chapter 2, 11 and 12, your whole self was ruled by flesh, but when you were circumcised, 
You were buried with him in baptism and you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So to continue in Christ is to have your eyes set on the things above where Jesus is seated and Jesus reigns. You might know the old saying, a heavenly minded person is of no earthly good. It's worth noticing that Paul flips that totally upside down. To continue in Christ is to seek the kingdom of Christ and to be heavenly minded is to be ready to do earthly good. Second thing I want you to notice in these opening few verses is that our lives are hidden in Christ. Uh, through faith in Jesus, our lives are hidden. And so we put on the new and we die to the old. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life was hidden with Christ in God. Uh, and the third thing I want you to notice that we continue in Christ because we will share in his glory. Verse four, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is the life that I seek, the life that brings glory to Jesus because ultimately he will return and share his glory with us who are continuing in the life of Christ. And so what I want you to see is that chapter three is teaching us a pattern of discipleship. Set your hearts and minds on him who is seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts and minds above as you continue to live this present life in him. And it's teaching us a pattern of discipleship. When you wake up in the morning, set your mind on the things above. When you go to bed at night, set your mind on the things of Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, put to death the earthly nature and its temptations and its distractions. When you go to bed at night, put to death the earthly things. When you wake up in the morning, clothe yourself with Christ, your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. When you go to bed at night, clothe yourself with Christ. When you wake up in the morning, give thanks to God for every good thing that he has given you. When you go to bed at night, give thanks to God for every good thing that he has given you. Paul is teaching us a pattern of discipleship. He's showing us what it means to continue in the Lord Jesus. So I want to encourage you in this moment to stop and draw breath and hear that invitation, that command. Seek first the kingdom of God, where Jesus is seated at God's right hand. The second thing I want you to hear is the flip side of the coin. If we're encouraged to set our minds and hearts on the things above, 
The second thing that Paul encourages us to do in this pattern of discipleship is to put to death our earthly nature. Becoming a Christian is just the beginning of the life of faith. Continuing him is a process of transformation, bit by bit, day by day, the spirit working in us, transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. And verse 5 tells us the next step, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, before we talk about the temptation of sexual sins and the temptation of sins of the tongue, I want to ask the question, why should we put to death the old self? There's two reasons here. Did you notice? The first reason's in verse 6. We put to death the old self because of the old self, the wrath of God is coming. And Paul says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you have been saved from them. Jesus has taken the judgment for you at the cross by his blood. Your forgiveness is secure in him. Uh, it's the old ways, the old temptations, the old sins and the old failures that brought us under the judgment and justice and wrath of God. And so the logic is here. If we've been rescued from those things, why continue in them? Why go back to them? Why go back to sexual sins if it's for these things that God's judgment came? Why go back to sins of the tongue if it's for these things that the judgment of God came? And so here is an encouragement for us to put to death the old self because that was the thing that brought us under the judgment of God. Uh, the second thing's the positive side of the same coin. We put to death the old self because, as we've already heard with Tamar, we're being made new in the likeness of our Creator. Uh, verses 9 to 11 capture that. You've taken off your old self and its practices. And you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Your identity is found in Christ. You're hidden with him as he's seated at the right hand of God. Therefore, we put to death our old self because in Jesus we're being made new. It's a wonderful promise and it's a wonderful picture. And you can see the fruit of it in verse 11. Now there's no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and Christ is in all. We put to death to our old self, our old habits, our old temptations, and we allow God by his spirit to work in us, transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. And so it gives us encouragement to put off the old and put on the new. 
I was telling eight o'clock that uh, at the end of year 12, I worked on a cotton farm for the summer. One of my friends uh, lived in Tamworth and he had connections with WeWar and uh, we worked on the cotton farms. Uh, we were cotton chipping at, uh, in January, the cotton plants are quite short and cotton chipping is going up and down the kilometres long furrows and digging out the weeds. There was one weed that was a close cousin to the cotton that they couldn't spray it. And the cotton chipper's job, which a couple of my friends and we were either, we worked for the scary Mrs. Lashbrook. The name just brings fear when I hear it. I'm still trembling and it was 30 years ago or however long. Uh, you'd walk up the, each lane between the cotton plants and we had to chip out the weeds, not just get the head or the, you had to get the whole root. And uh, uh, in the early few days of us working, Mrs. Lashbrook would follow us up. You missed that egg! You missed the root! <laughs> I'd be in trembling. But I got the hang of it. And uh, I bought my first computer, the mighty Commodore 64, <laughs> at the end of that time together. Uh, I want to take the picture of the weed and hear what Paul says about putting to death the earthly nature and thinking about our sins as weeds that need to be torn out and thrown away. And... Uh, I want to ask, the, Paul takes us one step further. What does putting to death the earthly nature look like? He has two weeds in front of him. The weed of sexual sin and the weed of sins of the tongue. Uh, and so I want us to see how Paul sh shows us what putting to death the earthly nature looks like. Did you squirm when you heard verse 5? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, I want to give you the word picture of the weed to say that here is a weed of sexual immorality in front of us. The flower is sexual immorality. And the root is greed and covetousness. There's this little cluster of uh, words to describe sexual temptation uh, is given to us by Paul to say, put this to death. It belongs to your earthly nature and not your new life anymore. And there is a great capacity in the human heart through the ages to make a God out of sex. Uh, the word here for sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia, from which we get our word pornography. And it's any word, thought or deed in the sexual realm that is outside God's good blueprint for sex. It's a weed whose flower is sexual immorality and whose root is greed and covetousness. And I think in that context where read, the word greed is there, it's really the description of the human heart that longs for inappropriate sexual activity and attraction and fulfilment, looking for love in the wrong places. The Christian here is called to put sexual sin to death. 
which is a challenge for us because we live in a sex-saturated culture. Uh, Paul uses the same word as Jesus does, sexual immorality, porneia, to see that uh, the teaching of Jesus on sex is clear. And he's saying to us, put to death sexual immorality and the list of things that go to make up the whole weed, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed. Now, as I want to apply this to us and our circumstances, I especially want to speak about pornography this morning as part of this passage. Uh, we are in a culture that is at war with pornography. Uh, the freedom of the sexual revolution has made us slaves to pornography. And as a father raising sons in particular, I feel like I have been at war against pornography from the early days of high school, as I found inappropriate pictures of Kim Kardashian on my computer to my horror, that I've had to uh, work with my sons and work with them to put to death sexual immorality of this kind. Now here is a topic that immediately opens up all kinds of things and all kinds of questions. So I want to say just a couple of things. Firstly, I want you to know that the Sydney Diocese has been very, working very hard on this topic. It recognises that as Christians, we are at war with pornography. And I think that kind of language helps us to see the importance of it. Uh, 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 Marshall Ballantyne Jones has done some excellent writing on our behalf to help us. There's a Sydney Anglican website, and there are many other good ones. I wanted to focus in on one that would help us think about what it means for us to put to death sexual immorality in this particular space. Uh, uh, he's written a number of things. But among other things, he wants to say the fight for porn is everyone's fight. And we need to work on our communication, telling goods, God's story about what is good and what ought to be put to death. We ought to talk about containment, how we can surround ourselves with protections from temptation. We ought to talk about cooperation. It's not the quiet fight alone, but together we help each other say no to these things. And we ought to talk about clinical support. Uh, for some people, uh, uh, pornographic addiction is in the space of the psychological, and we need to have psychological help as, long as, as much as spiritual help to help us put to death these things. I want to say a couple of things. And the first one's really important to hear, especially if this is part of your fight and struggle. There is no sexual sin that is outside the forgiveness of God through the cross of Jesus. And so particularly if this is your wrestle, I want to encourage you to put to death this uh, war that we're in, this temptation of pornography. And I want you to seek the forgiveness of Jesus who laid down his life for you. But the third thing I want to say is mature Christians 
put themselves further away from the temptation than closer to. And one of the difficulties for us is the freedom of the sexual revolution is linked to the technology and technology and porn have become a powerful enemy for the godly Christian. Uh, the diocesan website is called Resisting Porn. It's really good help for pastors helping their congregation and helping themselves, for parents to help their children, for churches to help each other stand firm on this particular issue. And if you want to talk some more, I'll, we're going to send you the links. Uh, I want to encourage you to see in Jesus, there's nothing outside the forgiveness of the cross. There's so much more to say about putting to death sexual temptation, especially in the pornography space and the war on screens that's in every household. But Paul says it fairly sharply here, put to death sexual sin, put to death pornography. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, I gave a talk at McEwen Park. It was it's a seniors retired village place. And we were talking about the theme, lead us not into temptation. In my research, the top three temptations that the New Testament comes back to again and again, guess what they would be? The first one we've already seen, sexual temptation. The second one's the love of money. And the third one is gossip. Now, as I looked into the eyes of those uh, 80s and 90-year-olds that I was speaking about sexual temptation, I could see the look. Buddy, I'm a bit faded and jaded. You know, that's not really my thing. Uh, I was heartened from many years ago. I had to uh, give the sex talk to an 8 o'clock church congregation, which I felt a bit awkward and stumbled through. One of the older men said to me, the plumbing's rusty, but the mind's still at war. Keep reminding me to put to death these things. <laughs> if that's you, hear these words. But the third thing when I was at McEwen Park, when I said sins of the tongue and gossip, I could see the room go, <gasps> that's me. If I wasn't hit by the sexual temptation, temptation to use my tongue inappropriately. So Paul wisely uh, has something to say about both. And the second example he raises is in verse 8. Put to death sins of the tongue. Uh, did you see verse 8? Now you must also rid of yourselves all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. There's a second weed here. The flower is slander and inappropriate language, and the root is anger. And so Paul is saying, rid yourselves of these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy, filthy language. Use your words to build up and encourage and to uh, uh, positively put out of your words uh, the inappropriate. And Paul says, 
Do not lie to each other, since you are being made new in the image of Christ. Sometimes uh, younger people say to me, oh, but language shifts and words that were once not appropriate are still, uh, have become appropriate. Why so chilled about what, how you say? Now, when I'm listening to Triple J and the radio jockeys give me a language warning, it at least tells me that the ABC recognises there are phrases that are still offensive in the public square. We want to use, have words that honour Jesus. And next week, we're going to see uh, what the good fruit of uh, honouring Jesus looks like with your tongue. Not using our tongues to put down or to be express rage, but to encourage and to build up. Jesus said, a good, a good tree bears good fruit, and the good fruit of the good tree is seen with how we use our words. Next week, we're gonna think about what it means to clothe our tongues with Christ. Well, there are two unexpected topics. Gossip and sex, all in one passage. And we hear this passage as it teaches us to seek the things above and to put to death the old self so that whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response to what we've heard.